1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his own work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we thank you for calling us here today. You have called us here to worship you, to hear from you, to encounter you. We ask that you would prepare our hearts and minds, that you would move in them by the power of your Holy Spirit as we gather, singing songs of praise, meeting Christ at the table, hearing from your word, fellowshipping with one another. We ask that you would prepare us in every way and build us up. We are yours, Lord Jesus. Thank you. We love you. Amen. So today we enter Advent. That probably isn't a surprise to most of you. Um, and in Advent, uh, the first thing that we ought to do is to look, frankly, at our familiar position. We need to orient ourselves to our surroundings. That is, that is the first purpose of Advent. One, one recent morning, I was, I was sitting there, I get up pretty early, sitting there in the dark, drinking my first cup of coffee, waking up a little bit, and I just envisioned Jesus sitting in the chair next to me, and, and he was drinking coffee too. And... Wouldn't that be awesome, I thought. And, you know, I imagined the disciples eating and drinking with Jesus. And, and I thought, man, 
That, that would be incredible. That will be incredible one day when we are, in fact, sitting and seeing Jesus just like we're sitting and seeing one another right now. And I felt some sort of assurance that he was indeed sitting there with me in some way just like that. Only it wasn't just like that. I somehow knew his presence but what I really wanted was to see him. I wanted to see him with my eyes. I wanted to hear him sipping his hot coffee in between words as we talked. Because, because then, then I could know. Then I could know that there really is hope. Then I could know that everything, whatever is on my list that day, everything really will be all right. And this is what we observe in Advent that we are all actually doing. We are, we are sitting in the dark, hoping against hope, waiting and wondering, sometimes enjoying life joyfully, sometimes struggling painfully. We are sometimes believing, and that powerfully. We are sometimes doubting, and that powerfully too. Advent begins in the dark. These are the oft-used words of Fleming Rutledge. Darkness probably is not high on people's list this time of year, not most people's in this sort of pre-Christmas milieu, whatever we're in culturally, darkness is not the theme. It's probably not what you're thinking of if you're unacquainted with this waiting season of Advent. And listen, Christmas will be great. It will be great. We will remember and celebrate the birth of our Savior. What a wonder. And we will uh, enter in in some way to the celebrations of the world around us, which they don't even fully recognize yet what they're actually celebrating, their Savior. If you were like me, admittedly, and my family, if you were at Holly Jolly, or the Christmas parade in Black Mountain, if you have put up some decorations already, um, you've already begun to enter into that celebration. And that's, that's, that's fine. But what we here are called to do within the church is also to recognize the darkness that surrounds us. So first, before we celebrate a Savior, we ask again, what is this familiar position? Why do we need a Savior? What do we need to be saved from? Consider with me, if you will, just a, a dust particle's worth of current events and situations. You could make your own list in five minutes. We're nearing the two-year mark of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which is actually an escalation of a, a decade-long conflict in which probably over a million people have bore the effects of war through death or through injury, not to mention their families and friends. There are, even in this age, 
around 20,000 people estimated who die of hunger in the world each year. Although there's a lot of good work being done and that number is far lower than it used to be, that's still an astounding number. That's roughly the population of the entire Swannanoa Valley from the edge of Swannanoa on the west, the Ridgecrest and Montreat, everyone included. Around the same number, 20,000 have died in the conflict between Israel and Hamas, a situation in which if the categories are fear and violence, there is no real winner. There are 400,000 children, approximately, in foster care in the United States. About 400 in Buncombe County alone, which is more than all of us in this room, would more than max out our capacity here. Where do you drive daily? If you drive out here by the church, I live close by, if you drive right around here by the church or between here and I-40 by Ingalls, up and down Old 70, you will see the same homeless folks, the same people without vehicles almost every day. Wherever you drive, wherever you frequent, do you see those people? We have in our midst, in our communities, maybe even our church, we have our elders, our, our seniors, our older brothers and sisters, who like many of the young people also are dealing with things like food insecurity and a widening economic gap. We have under-resourced and under-cared for public schools, which nonetheless provide warmth and a meal for so many. And then there are the people next to you. There are so many in our body who have suffered loss. You have lost spouses. You have lost children. You have lost parents. You have suffered loneliness. You are fighting cancer. You are struggling to find hope, perhaps in your marriage. You're having difficulty breathing, difficulty remembering, just difficulty living. And these are just the easily visible, the easily definable places of darkness and suffering in our lives. What about your everyday communities, your work, your neighborhood, the places that you frequent? Do you assume that there is no violence, no fear, no abuse, no neglect? Do you assume that there is no illness simply because you can't see those things with your eyes? Have you and I so constructed our lives to be coded in care and in comfort that we cannot see? Have we neglected our own hearts? I hope that our answer is no. I hope that our answer can be that we have not neglected our own hearts or the helpless people near us. Because the truth of the matter is that I am the helpless. I am the violent. 
I am the liar. I am the thief and the adulterer and the addict. I am the guilty one. I am the hurt. I am the abused. I am the depressed and the one taken advantage of. In the darkness of my suffering, whether I'm the guilty party or I'm the victim, I am the helpless. And so are you. When you are simply unable to accomplish the task put in front of you, when you are sick, when you are paralyzed by stress and anxiety, when you live inside of your own mind despite knowing that that is a bad idea, when you judge others, and when you don't trust those nearest to you, when every person who asks how you are gets the refrain, tired and busy. You are the helpless, and so am I. The prophets that we've read from in, in Isaiah and Psalm identify the people of God not as the pristine, not as the powerful, not as if they are free of any real guilt or even able to save themselves. Here are the words that I'll remind you. They say, we have all become like one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. There is no one who calls upon your name. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. See, Advent is, in part, a penitential season. It is about waiting and expectation, hope and joy and peace and love, of righteous judgment, of giving birth. And we, like the authors that we've read here, we remember the things that our God has already done. We look to the shepherd of Israel to come and save us out of our darkness and suffering and death. And we acknowledge that we have played a part in those. In our sins, we have been a long time, writes Isaiah. And so we find ourselves in this strange, uncomfortable, and maybe even painful place that has been called the already and not yet. We have known the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has in his life and death and resurrection secured for us forever life with God. He's confirmed it by his Holy Spirit. Yet, we remain in a world full of darkness, our own sins contributing. And we wonder if there will really be a way out. And so we wait. We live Advent lives every day of our lives. And we as the church stand at the hinge point of the ages. We experience darkness, but we're not given over to it. We truly and deeply experience sorrow and pain and loss, 
but somehow these things don't quite define us. And what I would say is that if, if you know Jesus and you know how hard life is, then you know a large part of what it is to be a Christian. And so I tell you now some encouraging words, the same words that Paul told the church in Corinth almost 2,000 years ago, that you, brothers and sisters, despite the darkness in your own life and in your own communities, are not lacking any gift as you wait for the revealing of Jesus Christ our Lord. He will sustain you to the end of whatever trial you are currently enduring. He will sustain you through the holidays when loss and loneliness are your constant companions. He will sustain you when you are burdened by the hopelessness of a world that is feel, filled with fear and violence. Jesus alone will uphold you as you endure hate, and he will heal your own hatefulness. God our Father is faithful, Paul writes. He has not called you into his own family, into his own life, only to proclaim you guilty, to leave you to suffer, to leave you in the darkness. Be hopeful, therefore, be hopeful in the midst of the darkness. The darkness has no power over you. The darkness does not exist in itself, but only in the absence of light. And you, church, you and I are called to be the doorkeepers, to be ready to welcome the Lord's return when his glory, when his face will shine and forever cast away the darkness. So open wide the door, anticipating the return of the king who will come home and welcoming everyone around you to come in. Stay awake, Jesus says. His words that we've read here in Mark are not meant to, to scare you, to cause you to question what exactly is going to happen in this world. They are meant to encourage you in this life as you await the return of the King. The face of God has shone upon us in Jesus Christ. So you can await his hope in your darkest hour, and you can somehow share this hope with the other helpless people around you. And you may not be experiencing any of this. Some of this may not resonate with you right now. You may not be suffering right now. You may not feel that that is a season of your life that you are in. And that may be genuine. Still, you are called to stand with those who are suffering. Your words and your actions are meant to be signs to all of those around you, to the world, that God has not, in fact, abandoned this world, that he is not, in fact, absent or silent. We are to stand in solidarity with the suffering, to hold on in hope with the hopeless, 
We are to tell them they are right to hope that this darkness will have an end. If you long to see the pain and the suffering, the difficulty, the depression, the darkness of the world to come to an end, but you're just not sure that that will ever actually happen. You're not sure how that will happen. Jesus is the answer that you have been looking for. Jesus is the answer that you have been waiting for. The question to you today is, will you open your heart to him? Will you allow him to heal you? Will you allow him to fill you with hope? Will you let Jesus show you that he has in fact been sitting with you in the darkness all along? That he has in fact been the one bearing the burden and the weight of the world all along? He has not abandoned you. Jesus sees you and he knows what you have endured. He knows what you will yet endure. And he will one day drive out the darkness from our own minds and hearts and communities. He will repair everything that is broken. And so in this time of Advent, we look to the return of our King, Jesus. We say Christ has come and Christ will come again to complete this good work that he has done. Let us therefore live Advent lives as we pray, come Lord Jesus and come quickly. Let's pray. Jesus, we confess that we have not been hopeful. I confess that I cannot be hopeful in and of myself. It is far, far easier to be swallowed up in the darkness. At least it seems easier. We rely on you, Jesus, to come into the world and save us, to complete this work that you have started, to heal the brokenhearted, to heal and reconcile our relationships that we screw up so quickly and so often. We are fully dependent on you, our King and our Savior. I pray for all of your people in this room and anywhere else here at Valley Hope or the children down the hallway who if they have not yet experienced brokenheartedness, we know sadly one day will. Holy Spirit, would you move among us? Would you heal us? Would you make us a hopeful people who do not deny the darkness around us, who do not deny the darkness in our own lives, but who allow and see that hope that yet remains? May we be a hopeful people as we go out today and every day. Lord Jesus, we depend on you. You are our great hope, and we love you. Amen.